0: Asking the right question can greatly impact your future. So are you working with a certified financial planner? A CFP professional? Certified financial planner certification is the standard of excellence in financial planning. That's why it's got to be a CFP. Find your CFP professional at letsmakeaplan.org.
1: This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Forget the frustration of picking commerce platforms when you switch your business to Shopify. The global commerce platform that supercharges your selling
2: Welcome to First Move this Tuesday and another jam-packed news hour coming up for you too, including Miami Vice, former U.S. President Donald Trump in Florida, and just hours away from his arraignment on 37 federal charges tied to the mishandling of classified documents. Trump says he'll plead not guilty. We take you live to Miami ahead of his appearance later today. Plus, hometown horror. At least 11 people have lost their lives after a massive Russian airstrike in the Ukrainian city where President Zelensky was born. All this as Kiev claims battlefield victories against Russia in both the east and south of the nation. And Inflation Watch, the latest U.S. consumer price data showing pressure easing for an 11th straight month prices up an expected 4% annualized. That's a sizable drop, though, from the near 5% level seen in April. The most important data for decision making at the Federal Reserve this week, though, is the core inflation number. And that came in at 5.3%. That's still way too high for comfort. Just a reminder, core strips out what's volatile food and energy prices to get a real sense of underlying inflation. Well, we'll discuss what the Fed could, should, and will do not always the same things with Allianz and Gramacy advisor, Mohamed el Irian later in the show. In the meantime, I'll let you look at the market reaction. U.S. stocks still pointing to a higher open, the S&P 500 beginning today's session at a one-year high. That's up 13% so far on the year. Tech still the outperformer, with Apple closing at fresh all time highs on Monday. And gains in Asia, too, as the Chinese central bank cuts borrowing costs. Reports say the Chinese government is now considering larger fiscal stimulus to help support its slowing economy, also. And Japan's Nikkei closing above 33,000 for the first time. In 33 years, for some reason that sounds auspicious, Toyota is the big Nikkei winner, jumping 5% on plans to build electric vehicles with longer-range batteries. As you can see, lots to get to this hour as always, and we begin with the latest on Donald's latest day in court. The former president facing federal criminal charges... Here you can see the former president at his hotel in Miami on the eve of that arraignment. He's called on his supporters to come out and protest. Carlos Suarez joins us now. Carlos, what are we expecting, whether that's from the former president himself, perhaps the uh, security arrangements at the court today, and also potential for people to come and, and show support for the former president too? Julia, good
3: morning. So the law enforcement presence outside of the federal courthouse here in Miami is growing. Just a few minutes ago, the Miami Police Department shut down one of the streets uh, uh, to the west of the courthouse where we believe the former president uh, later this afternoon uh, will be driven by uh, the Secret Service ahead of his uh, three o'clock appearance before a federal judge. Uh, Here's a look at where the case stands right now. In just hours, former President Donald Trump will surrender at a federal courthouse in Miami.
4: Make no mistake about it, we're taking this, uh, this event extremely serious. We know that there is a potential of things uh, taking a turn for the worst, but that's not the Miami way.
3: Federal and local law enforcement officials are ramping up security around the courthouse, expressing mounting concerns over potentially large crowds of Trump's supporters gathering outside.
5: We have unwavered support for Donald Trump. Like we don't even care if he's going to be in jail and we have to write him in. You know, to a lot of us, it's like Trump or nothing.
3: Federal law enforcement is only tasked with securing the actual courthouse. Miami police taped off the area with yellow police tape and erected yellow barricades. Will that change? Because there is a lot of concern that people may try to storm the building or try to enter some of that area. I mean,
4: are you going to harden that area? Well, what I can tell you is reach back to the folks that have reached to you and tell them that there's no reason to fear.
3: Former Miami police chief George Colina told CNN that the choice not to establish barriers around the courthouse could be intentional by Miami police in order to avoid attracting crowds. Trump is expected to be driven by Secret Service to an underground garage at the courthouse. He will not be seen by the public. Once he arrives, he will be placed under arrest, read his rights, and fingerprinted. He will likely not have a mugshot taken. Trump will then be taken to a courtroom on one of the top floors of the courthouse where he will hear the charges and enter his initial plea of not guilty. Judge Jonathan Goodman, who is presiding over the arraignment, rejected a request from a large group of national media outlets to take photographs inside the courthouse before the proceedings. In a written order, he says, while the proceeding is, quote, genuinely historic and of huge importance, allowing photographs would undermine the massive security arrangements put in place. Trump's supporters gathered at Trump's Doral Club, greeting him as he pulled up in his motorcade, giving the crowd a thumbs up. We follow him anywhere
6: and we'll do anything legal to, to stop this.
3: Police had to intervene to break up a few anti-Trump demonstrators after they clashed with supporters. Lock him up. One protester wearing a striped prison jumpsuit said, "This.
4: I grew up in New York City. I know what a con artist he is."
3: All right. So going into today, Miami's police chief said that they have enough resources. They have enough police officers to deal with a crowd of up to fifty thousand people. Here in downtown Miami. Julia, the big question in the next couple of hours is just how many people are going to come out here. There are a number of outstanding uh, items that the police department out here has to figure out when it comes to the perimeter, the security of this building outside, uh, they've yet to make a decision on whether they're going to allow supporters of the former president, as well as folks who come out to protest the former president, if they're gonna allow them to uh, essentially demonstrate near each other, if they're gonna be allowed in the same part of this courthouse. And so right now, as we head into the day, uh, the security presence, uh, as we can tell, is starting to pick up. They are expecting uh, a good amount of folks to turn out here Uh, but right now we just don't know exactly the number of protesters that are going to be out here and exactly how all of that is going to unfold julia
2: nope but you're going to be there watching for us carlos thank you so much for that report there carlos suarez there in miami now to ukraine Russian missiles hit civilian targets, including a residential building in the city of Rih, killing at least 11 people and injuring more than 25 others. The city, as I mentioned earlier, is President Zelensky's hometown. In the meantime, the Ukrainian military says it has gained more ground in the Zaporizhia and Donetsk regions. Sam Kylie joins us now. Sam, I believe a number of these missiles were intercepted, obviously not all, with tragic consequences in Rih.
7: Yes, Julia. I mean, the Russians, as we know now, going back many months, fire very large volumes of cruise missiles, uh, surface-to-surface ballistic missiles, and the Shahed Iranian-made drones. The latter, or a lot of them, intended to overwhelm the capabilities of the the Ukrainian air defences, air defences that they continue to beg the international community to augment, and inevitably... Some from time to time, these missiles get through most graphically and tragically in the latest example of that 11 dead, at least in uh, Krivri uh, two dozen reported at the beginning of the day injured uh, as a result of a hit against uh, a residential block in that uh, central industrial city. Uh, of Ukraine. Uh, this is part of an ongoing campaign that we're all, all too familiar with, with the deliberately targeting of civilian infrastructure and civilians themselves by the Russians. But on the battlefield, it is the Ukrainians at, at the moment that have most of the initiative. They are continuing to advance south of the embattled city of Bakhmut, uh, with some significant advances now being made in a salient of territory. There, several settlements being claimed by the Ukrainians as having been liberated, and I think more significantly, perhaps a very substantial increase in the level of Ukrainian attacks on the Zaporizhia front line. That is an east-west line running from Zaporizhia, controlled by the Ukrainians, through to uh, Russian-controlled Donetsk, where the Ukrainians have been throwing more and more troops and material at the fight there in a hope to try and break through i think i think we're probably moving beyond the probing attacks that we've been seeing about a week ago or so or even a few days ago to something more substantial coming from the ukrainians as part of the early stages i think of their much vaunted offensive julia
2: sam great to have you thank you sam Kylie, there and British police are investigating a series of attacks that have taken three lives and left three others in hospital. Eyewitnesses in the city of Nottingham say the driver of a van intentionally drove into several pedestrians. A 31 year old man is being held on suspicion of murder. Nada Bashir is following events from London for us. Nada, what would we know about the individual that's been arrested and a potential motive in this attack?
8: Well, look, it is still very early stages, Julia. The investigation is ongoing. There is a heavy police presence across central Nottingham. As you mentioned, there are three separate incidences at three separate uh, locations. So this is a large-scale investigation. They have described this as a major incident. At this stage, Nottinghamshire police confirming that a 31-year-old man has been arrested. He is uh, currently in police custody, but that is all we know about the suspect at this stage. And of course, the key focus for police and investigators will be trying to ascertain the motive behind this attack. And it's important to underscore that we don't yet know uh, what that motive is. But look, what we do have is the details around what has been a really shocking morning for those uh, living in Nottingham. Two people found dead in the street just after uh, 4 a.m. this morning. And shortly after that, police were called to a separate incident in which a van attempted to run over three individuals. Now, those three individuals have now been transferred to hospital and are receiving treatment. But, of course, as we know, a further individual was found dead at a separate third location, that is, three killed overall. And we've heard the eyewitness accounts around this shocking incident. Take a listen uh, to what one person said earlier this morning in Nottingham.
9: He looked in his mirror, saw a police car behind him. He then quickened up. There was two people turning the corner. He went straight in to these uh, two people. The woman went on the curb. Uh, The man went up in the air. It was such a bang. I wish I I never saw it because it's really shaped me up. And that is, of course, how
8: many people across Nottingham are, are feeling right now. There is still a heavy police presence. Those cordon lines remain up as that investigation continues. We've seen forensic police now deployed uh, to parts of the city as well. Prime Minister Rishi Sunak has reacted to this uh, latest incident. He says he's being updated on all the developments. He is shocked, of course, and has expressed his thanks to the emergency services responding to this incident, but has asked that the police be given time to carry out their work. And at this stage, Nottinghamshire police uh, haven't provided another update, but are appealing to all those in the area who may have witnessed uh, anything suspicious or witnessed the scene to come forward to provide the
2: police with information. Julia? Nada, great to have you with us. Thank you, Nada Bashir there. Okay, coming up here on First Move, pause or push on? mohammed El Arian on the Federal Reserve's next rate move. And from interest rates to AI dates, could a chatbot help you find the perfect match? The CEO of new dating app Teaser AI will explain all later.
0: Asking the right question can greatly impact your future, especially when it comes to your finances. So are you working with a certified financial planner? A CFP professional who meets rigorous education, training, and ethical standards and is committed to serving your best interests to prepare you for a more secure future? Certified Financial Planner Certification is the standard of excellence in financial planning. That's why it's got to be a CFP. Find your CFP professional at letsmakeaplan.org.
2: back to First Move. In the last hour, we learned that U.S. consumer prices rose by 0.1% last month and were up 4% from a year ago. That's actually sharply lower than April's 4.9% level, an ongoing drop in energy prices helping cool things down. But we did see uh, food prices rising and a pickup in that once again. So what does this mean for Federal Reserve policymakers who insist it's all about the data? They raised rates by a quarter point last month, the 10th straight rate hike since March of 2022. Joining us now is Mohamed Al ering He's Chief Economic Advisor at Allianz in Gramercy. He's also the President of Queen's College, Cambridge University. Mohamed, fantastic to have you on the show as always. You wrote a fantastic article in the FT this week, looking ahead at what the Federal Reserve could, should, and probably will do. And your framing of it was great. It was sort of a, a battle of the uglies over the decisions that they have to make. And perhaps what they will end up doing is not the right one. Let's start very simply. What should a data-dependent Federal Reserve be doing this week?
4: A data-dependent central bank should be hiking interest rates this week by a quarter of a percentage points. While inflation is coming down, it is not coming down fast enough. And core inflation, what measures the underlying inflationary pressure, is starting to stabilise at around 5%, which is way too high. So a data-dependent Fed that simply responds to data and doesn't look forward strategically should be hiking.
2: The unfortunate thing is, and of course they say they're data-dependent, is that they've generally guided towards pausing this month, and that's what the market expects too, and then perhaps leave it open the next month. Is that what you expect them to do?
4: So it is what I expect them to do because they guide it that way. Right. And inflation has come in as expected. So for them not to deliver on their guidance would cause significant market instability and raise question about their guidance. The problem they have is that they're excessively data dependent. You know, what what a lot of people don't realize is that the tools that central bank have don't act immediately. They tend to act with a lag, the so-called long and variable lag. So when you are just responding to data and not looking forward 12 to 18 months, the big risk you'll have is that you'll be doing something that may make sense in the short term, but it will be a policy mistake over time.
2: The problem is one more month of waiting and watching the data doesn't really give you that much more insight to your exact point about how long the transition mechanism of a rate hike takes to feed into the, into the real economy. And, and it also undermines the point that you were making at the beginning about their reiterating the fact that they're data dependent. It just further chips away at credibility. How important is that really, Mohammed?
4: It's very important because central banks need that credibility for two things. One, for policy effectiveness and the other for political independence. They are the one politically independent policymaker in the ecosystem. And as such, they have enormous power. But with that comes responsibility and accountability. So that's why it's really important that that they don't make yet another policy mistake.
2: Your sort of premise of the argument in the um article that you wrote for the Financial Times, and I think this is the critical piece, is that their inflation target, the destination that we seem to be trying to get to, no longer applies in the world of 2023, post-pandemic supply chain adjustments, the costly energy transition that that we're going through, a shift in patterns of globalisation and trade all over the world. Um, This is the the point, isn't it? We're, We're sort of aiming for something that doesn't really exist or apply in the world today.
4: Yes, we're aiming for something that if we get to it, we will tip the country into recession and will probably cause financial instability. Why? It's the wrong inflation target. This inflation target originated in New Zealand in the early 90s. It seemed to be sensible enough at the time, and it was, and it was adopted by many different countries, which is as if all of us had the same target, even though we're different, um, and today, there is reason to expect that the right inflation target is not 2% but 3%. The problem, Julia, as you know, is that if central banks have missed delivering the target, the last thing they want to do is then change the target. So they're, they're a bit stuck. Um, and that's why they end up in the muddled middle, neither delivering what they need to do for a 2% inflation, which is the wrong target, in my opinion, or or moving to the right target and making sure that we reduce inflation without sacrificing growth and without sacrificing financial stability.
2: Yeah, and the, just so my viewers understand, the problem with adjusting the target to what's probably the right target is that there's an expectation from consumers, from businesses, that the next time you don't hit your target, you're just gonna move the target again. So you're constantly moving the goalpost. And to go back to the point about credibility, then you've really got a problem.
4: Correct, and, and that's why you don't wanna start late. That's the tragedy. The big mistake was made in 2021 when the Federal Reserve called inflation transitory and held on to that view despite conflicting data. Transitory is a very dangerous word. If I tell you something is transitory, I'm telling you it's temporary, it's reversible, and therefore don't change your behavior. But then if it turns out to be non-transitory, which is the case, then you're having to play catch up. And once you're in the world of catch up, there is no optimal policy response.
2: Can I defend the Federal Reserve to to a certain extent and say, look, we've been predicting now recession for what, more than 12 months, and it's the most anticipated recession that has not yet at least um, arrived. The labor market data has been incredibly resilient, and yet the economy so far, and admittedly we're saying there's a lag, um, an astonishing amount of rate hikes in very close succession. Could you also make the argument that while perhaps the inflation target doesn't apply in this world, um, the labour market's change. There's a stickiness about people letting workers go, particularly in the post-pandemic era, that sort of gives them some leeway and some flexibility perhaps to, to do as they've done.
4: Oh, absolutely. That's the argument I've been making. I've been pushing back consistently, as you know, against this notion that the US will fall into recession. There is no need for the U.S. to fall into a recession. As you point out, the labor market is very solid. Um, Job vacancies are are 1.8 times the unemployment level. So so there is still scope in the labor market um, to carry us through a more difficult environment. The, The Fed itself has been consistently wrong on unemployment. It has been predicting unemployment much higher than what has actually transpired. So it has been too optimistic on inflation and too pessimistic on unemployment. Um, And I think that come tomorrow, when they release their expectations, we're going to see some adjustments in, in that view.
2: Yes, reframing, which is what you've long been arguing for too. Um, in this world, let's talk about what we see in stock markets today, because there are those that look at the sort of twenty three percent rise in the Nasdaq, the tech-heavy sector, year to date, the thirteen percent rise in the S and P five hundred, and say, look, actually, this is very jarring with the economic backdrop. What do you make of, of the message? I think that sort of bond markets are sending now, that stock markets are sending. Um, tied to what is likely to be, in your mind, a sort of reframing of the Federal Reserve's message on what they see?
4: So just to confuse that even more, the bond <laughs> markets have been sending a different signal from the stock markets. Right. So on the surface, it seems inconsistent, but it's not. Because if you were to go inside the numbers in the stock market, um, and you've done that in the past, it is a handful of stocks that have done the heavy lifting. Um, If you look at the S&P 500, until recently, and that's good news that it's changing, but until recently, seven names accounted for all the gains. And those are what I call all-weather stocks. They are stocks that are either riding a massive multi-year wave, think of artificial intelligence, or alternatively, they are stocks that are viewed to be insensitive to the economic cycle, think of big tech. And they have been doing all the heavy lifting this year after having had a terrible time last year. And what's good for the, in the last couple of weeks is that the rally has broadened to include more names. And that's a very positive development.
2: You know, you've taken me on a completely different path now because you mentioned the A.I., the artificial intelligence um, phrase, so I have to ask you about this now. There's clearly, and we talk about it almost every day, I think, on the show, the debate in education, in how best to handle this, tool or or weapon. How do you feel? Can I ask you at at Queen's College about how this should be perhaps utilised, handled um, for those perhaps that could utilise it to, to take exams or to support their education?
4: So we are thinking through it. Like every innovation, you get two reactions. The first reaction is you get a balance of excitement and anxiety. Um, Excitement at what this technology allows. And generative AI allows a lot of customization in education. But also fear as to what it enables. You know, I'm old enough to remember when, when the programmable calculator came in people didn't want us to stop using the slide rule. It sounds absurd now, but there was somehow a fear that by using calculators, we would lose all the ability to do arithmetics in our head. The other reaction is that by reducing a barrier to entry, which AI does in a very powerful manner, people overproduce it and overconsume it. So those two things are playing out today. Um, it will take us time, everybody in society, to, to find the right equilibrium. But I'm generally excited. I'm excited because AI is an equalizer more than it is an unequalizer. It can provide a lot more opportunity uh, for people, both the lower cl- um, income groups within the Western economies, but especially those in developing countries. So so I'm excited, but we need to get a few things right so that we don't overproduce it and overconsume it and create Havoc and bad things.
2: Yes, harness the innovation, but try and uh, withhold or restrain uh, the darker sides. I like the idea of it, isn't it? It's the inequalizer, though, uh, Mohamed. It's always great to chat to you. Thank you, Mohamed Alarian, Chief Economic Advisor. Thank you, sir, at Alliance and President of Queen's College, Cambridge University. Thank you. Okay, still to come on First Move, regulation, aggravation. Microsoft and Activision's planned merger faces a new roadblock. We'll discuss more about the FTC's latest move after this. Welcome back to First Move and a look at Wall Street this Tuesday. All the major averages solidly higher in early trade, as we've been reporting U.S. inflation coming in Pretty much as expected last month, core inflation though still not easing fast enough for the Federal Reserve. But the numbers should allow the central bank to hold rates steady at its policy meeting this week, as Mohammed Ali was saying they've guided that way, so really they've got no choice. The Nasdaq now up almost 30% so far this year, and tech the outperformer once again today. Software giant Oracle rallying after hitting the stock market sweet spot, a big earnings beat, and the launch of a generative AI cloud service too. Oracle's Larry Ellison, now the world's fourth richest person, overtaking Microsoft's Bill Gates, according to Bloomberg. Tesla, headed by the world's richest person, Elon Musk, is also revving up once again. It's on track for its 13th straight winning session. Apple, little changed after hitting fresh all-time highs on Monday. And uh, perhaps some fresh fog for Microsoft in its quest to buy Activision Blizzard. The U.S. regulator, the FTC, has asked for a temporary restraining order to block the $69 billion merger. The FTC challenged the deal late last year on competition concerns. I spoke to Microsoft's President Brad Smith a couple of weeks ago about the outstanding regulatory approvals. And here's what he told me.
6: Obviously, we, haven't not, we have not yet succeeded in addressing the concern of every regulator. But, you know, look, at the end of the day, you have to decide, do you want to find a solution to every problem or do you want to find a problem with every solution? We are focused on finding a solution to every problem because I believe solutions are there.
2: Claire Duffy joins us now. This is an interesting one, and you've got a timing mismatch because I believe the deal is expected to close a few weeks before the first hearing for the FTC on this. So the danger is you have to fight once a deal's done, which is far harder to challenge and unwind if necessary.
5: That's exactly it, Julia. The FTC wants to make sure that Microsoft doesn't go ahead and try to close this deal before it has a chance to render an opinion on it. As you said in the open there, the FTC sued to block this deal in December. It's concerned that this deal, which would make Microsoft the third largest video game publisher in the world, could harm competition, could harm consumers. And now the agency said there is some fear that Microsoft could go ahead and try to close this deal or close parts of the deal before the agency is able to have this August hearing and render a decision. Now, Microsoft is also fighting, uh, you know, issued an appeal in order, in in response to a British decision blocking this deal, but the EU last month gave this deal the green light, and so the FTC wants to make sure that its hands are firmly on the wheel driving this deal forward or not. Uh, The FTC has asked a court to place a temporary restraining order blocking this deal by Thursday, but as you see there, Brad Smith, Microsoft's president, has continued to sort of sound an optimistic tone on this deal. He told us yesterday that we believe that accelerating the legal process in the U.S. will ultimately bring more choice and competition to the market. And, and, you know, so this is something that we'll really have to keep a close eye on this week and see if we do hear an answer from the court
2: on this. Yeah. What next? Is it just about sort of waiting and watching and see what comes from this? Because they've got approval now from, I think, near 40 different nations that are saying, OK, we can do this, to your point, including the EU. It's just the US and and the UK, which are pretty big nations in this regard, admittedly. But there's the holdouts.
5: That's exactly it. Yeah, You know, I think Microsoft perhaps really is looking forward to getting its chance in court this week to present some of these concessions that it's made. You know, the EU found that these concessions, you know, things like allowing its, its video games to be published on other platforms, you know, it found that those were enough to make this deal move forward. And so the, the Microsoft really might be looking forward to presenting some of these in court and hoping that the court and ultimately the FTC finds that this is enough, that this deal can move forward without harming consumers or competition.
2: Yeah. That was certainly the message i got that we can convince them we just need to um, present the facts and the adjustments we shall see claire duffy thank you to south korea now celebrations of the 10th anniversary of one of its greatest exports and i'm not talking about samsung wow can you believe it the k-pop band bts has been around for 10 years And to mark the milestone, landmarks in Seoul are being lit up in purple. As you can see, the band's Signature Colour for a whole week. Although BTS is on temporary hiatus right now, as you can see, fans are most definitely not, as Paula Hancock's reports.
9: This is the first The World Saw of BTS. No More Dream, released 10 years ago this week. Alongside backstage footage of seven young men who could sing and dance, but few could have imagined the global stardom that would follow. From being the first K-pop group to debut at number one on the Billboard album chart, to securing the most weeks at the top spot of any artist, beating out Taylor Swift with 46 weeks at number one. International fans have been arriving in Seoul over recent weeks for 10th anniversary BTS tours, visiting anywhere the band has made famous.
8: we waited for this moment for years and now it's finally happening.
9: (laughs) A group of fans from the United States are flying in from different states for their pilgrimage, a trip seven months in the planning.
8: We want to just you know, eat the food that they've eaten, they must have really good taste, and just be in places where they've been, you know, music video shooting, uh, just to breathe the same air that they breathe.
9: Top of the tallest, a bus stop on the East Coast where the band shot its album cover, You Never Walk Alone, a regular stop for fans who refer to themselves as The Army, as well as the band's old home that's turned into a cafe, and this building where the band's agency used to be. We caught up with two fans in Seoul who travelled all the way from Scotland, undergraduate students who consider this to be the first of many BTS-related trips to South Korea.
8: It's emotional, it's very like, you're happy, but it's very like, oh my god, like this is real.
9: They attribute the band's longevity to the serious messages they portray in their lyrics, topics they can relate to.
2: Their mental health talk is like, is unique to them, honestly. I know the new bands are trying to do that, but BTS have done it in a the way they haven't before.
9: With two of the seven members currently serving mandatory military service here in South Korea, and the remainder to follow soon, the group's record label Big Hit reportedly says they could reconvene by 2025. Every member has also had success with a solo career so far.
0: 전환점으로 삼자라는 얘기는 굉장히 오래 전부터 준비가 되어 있습니다. 사실 굉장히 긴 시간을 달려왔기 때문에.
9: BTS is marking its 10 years with a new single, a new book and a festival by the river. Some fans are celebrating with a pilgrimage of anything their idols visited or touched or even ate. Paula Hancock's CNN Song.
2: I read that the celebrations are going to continue for two weeks. Um, what a great boost for tourism, I think, to uh, South Korea. And coming up after the break, is true love, just an AI-driven avatar away. If You decide. The CEO of dating app Teaser AI makes his case next.
7: I'm Ina Garten. Welcome to Be My Guest, the podcast. One of the best gifts you can give friends is spending time together. But what's even better than that? Cooking with them on Be My Guest, the podcast new friends and old stop by my barn for some conversation and great cooking. We talk about food, life, and everything in between. Listen to Be My Guest, the podcast with me, Ina Garten, and join us wherever you get your podcasts.
2: Welcome back to First Move. Now, from hinge to happen, online dating has become a booming industry, generating nearly $5 billion in revenue last year. Over 300 million people use dating apps worldwide, according to a report by Business of Apps. And in a crowded market led by the likes of Tinder, Badoo and Bumble, one startups aiming for a tech-driven edge over the competition... Teaser AI is using artificial intelligence to overcome a major shortcoming in the dating game, the amount of time wasted in small talk that perhaps goes nowhere in the early stages. Teaser says it learns about your habits and interests, and potential matches can chat to your avatar before moving on to person to person conversations prices start at $19.99 a week. Ooh, we're going to discuss that. Daniel Liss is the co-founder and CEO of Teaser AI, and he joins us now. I love this when, when I read about it. So we're going to have some fun. Um, in your own words, what's the problem really that you're trying to fix?
6: The problem we're trying to fix, I mean... On a macro scale is what the Surgeon General in the U.S. has called the epidemic of loneliness, right? One in two Americans is reporting feeling lonely, and that rate actually doubles for young adults compared to seniors. So a decade into dating apps, which uh, the technology industry thought would solve a lot of issues that we found in dating, we have the average single is on three of these apps and is not seeing results. So we're really starting from the big problem of trying to right the wrongs of what the dating industry has created over the last 20 years or 10 years of mobile dating.
2: This is really interesting. So what you're saying is lots of people use lots of these apps, but they never actually connect with someone or find someone that they're compatible with. So it's about the sort of efficiency of finding someone you're compatible with that you're targeting.
6: Right, I think in uh, technology products, our first product was Dispo, which is a camera-based social network. We actually went to the users. You've got to talk to the users and solve real problems. You know, the old field of dreams adage to if you build it, they will come. It doesn't work, actually. You need to build things that people want. And so our users kept on saying to us, I spend, and we could see when they would show us their phone, you know, they're spending seven hours a day on their phone, at least an hour a day on their constellation of dating apps. And uh, maybe they got, particularly the young women, a lot of matches, but it would be what we call this graveyard of ghosting. Uh, you would you know, spend this hour a day getting all the matches together, and then no one would ever say anything. And so you were left in this incredibly frustrated experience where you're investing all this time and hope and energy to meet someone, and that wasn't happening. And so that was the problem, really, uh, that we decided to tackle. And, of course, we're using generative te- AI, this new technology, uh, as one of the our efforts to tackle that problem.
2: When I moved to the United States, I was given a handbook by the people who transferred me over on what ghosting is. And I was utterly mystified. So some of that certainly um, (laughs) resonates. That's not fair. It's dependent on us. (laughs) Fine. I take take that hit. But I honestly had never heard about it before. Um, Okay, so the response that you're creating then is an avatar that somebody can at least engage with. But there's no promise that even if you engage with someone's avatar that even if you like them and you get on then, that they won't still ghost you the other side. I'm talking about the human, not the, the AI. You might actually like the avatar more. Now that's a problem.
6: Fair I, I to say, but uh, our second feature, which among the users is actually getting even a little more attention, is uh, a ghosting score. So if you ghost people, just like an Uber rating or a Karma score on Reddit, if you're a bad writer or you're a bad participant in the Reddit community, your ghosting score will go down on Teaser AI. And on top of that, in the actual architecture of the app, uh, we reduce the number of matches that you can make or likes that you can have, we call them picks. So there are only 16 people that you can be engaging with at any one time. Now to some of uh, your viewers, that may seem like a lot, but for the average person on a dating app today, really their messages panel is probably hundreds of matches where a lot of nothing is going on. And on top of that, Uh, I think the feature we're most excited about introducing next is what we're calling auto-match. So we have all this data on your swiping preferences, who likes you, what your interests are, uh, keywords that you keep on bringing up in your conversations. And we're going to auto-match people all in the efforts of reducing the amount of time they're spending on the app and getting them on better dates faster.
2: I'm I'm basically still hung up on paying $19, 99 cents a week to be insulted for ghosting (laughs) things. But let's talk about let's talk about specifically
6: a <laughs> on, know, a, on a monthly is, basis. But I know. Suffice okay. to say, dating is a very lucrative category, and for apps that work, people are willing to pay quite a bit of money for it.
2: Yeah, and we're not point. afraid
6: to be a for-profit company.
2: Yeah, well, and, and to your point as well, um, there is an epidemic of loneliness out there, and if this is a more efficient way of helping you find somebody, um, I think people are willing to pay more. Quite frankly, um, okay, but. Talk to me about the large language model that you're using. And I get the concept, but how accurate is the avatar that you're speaking to? Because I've seen some write-ups of this and it feels like a little work in progress, which we know anyway about um, generative AI too. Daniel, will this improve? Sure.
6: I'll probably surprise you with this answer, which is our intention was not to be the most accurate. The large language model is an open source model that we're not currently naming, but it's uh, running on AWS. And the intention is actually to, you know, for any model, uh, if you back up a step, you're trying training the model for an output. Our output is creating that spark that will get someone to send a message. So uh, I know this is cable, but and maybe you see it in the demos, but if you look in the app, we give you a very clear warning that our AI may say some crazy stuff. And that is very much intentional, right? The hilarity of an AI saying, Uh, who knows going somewhere unexpected, but obviously we train it to avoid sensitive or offensive conversations that, uh, you know, zest, uh, for conversation and for life is kind of in many ways, we're trying to make people even more interesting than they are in real life.
2: Yeah. It's interesting. Uh, I mean,
6: how how are getting it close to where you are is, is training it based on your prior conversations in the app, and then your onboarding. So in the onboarding, we're asking you about your personality. We're asking you to talk to our AI training device. Uh, we're really do, you know using best in class technology to create something that feels like you, but isn't exactly like you.
2: Yeah, the warning is to be specific, our AI might say some crazy SHIT. I'm not gonna say the word live on TV, but there's, there is a very clear warning when you start using this. Um, In actual fact, does the AI matter less than what you're saying actually is a a sort of sense of humor, a filtering system where you can't engage, a warning to users that this person might end up ghosting you, perhaps stay away? It's sort of a sophisticated way of perhaps allowing people to filter and not just be bombarded with lots of people and lots of noise and actually not know where to go next or who to talk to.
6: Right. I, I think a lot of people, when they first hear about this app, think that we're trying to make people fall in love with chatbots. And that is absolutely not the case. I think you it articulated happened. it beautifully. That
2: might be a consequence. <laughs> no, I, ah.
6: I think that's <laughs> definitely not. This is, and, and also, you know, from a trust and safety perspective, we've limited the number of messages you can exchange with somebody's AI. Uh, to very few. I think it's five right now. So in reality, this is, as you put it, a way to date with more intention, a way to sort through people a little more quickly uh, and hopefully get you out on real dates in person much faster.
2: Yeah, I like it. And I like your honesty. Um, Awesome to have you on the show. Come back soon and we'll track progress and uh, see how people are doing. Great to chat to you. Thank you, Daniel Liz, co-founder and CEO of Teaser AI. Thank you. Okay, Coming up here on First Move, global trade keeps on trucking thanks to the revolutions in electric and self-driving vehicles. We'll take you behind the wheel of our digital driving and delivery future next. Welcome back to First Move. Call it the highway to a greener, more productive future. A Swedish tech company is working to deliver a new generation of powerful trucks that are electric powered and self-driving. All that in today's Global Connections.
1: Andreas has about two hours before reaching the bridge between Norway and Sweden. Drives like these are often perfect for some deep thinking.
0: Uh, Well, it's, uh,
4: it's a beautiful road.
1: Well, most of the time
4: long way to, to the border. It is, we have plenty of time. Yeah.
1: <laughs> to be fair, Andreas probably isn't thinking about today's journey too much, because he's focused on tomorrow. Tech advancements have left no area of trade untouched. And Andreas hopes to help goods move more efficiently by removing cargo drivers from the road.
4: Here we're looking at the huge transformation of the freight transport industry.
1: Andreas works at Enride, a tech company specializing in self-driving and electric trucks. Dozens of startups are experimenting with driverless trucks, but Enride is one of the few trying to make them electric at the same time.
4: You can have cleaner freight. You can use less vehicles and move things directly to where they need to go.
1: About 80% of all inland European freight moves by road. This dependence on trucks can lead to a few problems, not just in terms of pollution, but people.
3: There is, of course, the driver shortage. When you have few drivers, they work a lot of hours, they are away from their families for a long time. It's really an unsustainable solution.
1: Enride obviously believes its electric driverless trucks are the answer. Today, five customers use them, mainly on private property, because getting them out in public is complicated. And that's where Andreas comes in. He's working on a project to roll out driverless trucks, not just on Swedish roads, but across the entire continent.
4: So the storyline of the project is to go from Rotterdam to Oslo.
1: Andreas and Einride are part of the Moody project, an initiative that aims to reimagine logistics by automating them. Partially funded by the European Union, this project brings together 36 public and private partners, according to EnRide, each responsible for a different piece of the puzzle.
4: I think for me, collaboration is really uh, what is, is the key here.
1: The project just launched in late 2022. By the time it ends, Enride hopes its trucks will be the first to cross a national border. This one, to be exact. But to pull the speed off, the team first needs to study a variety of systems. In this case, how trucks currently navigate customs.
4: We've now arrived at the Norwegian Customs uh, on the border between Sweden and Norway. When the trucks come in, they can either do a manual inspection or a manual custom clearance.
1: And although Customs here do have a digital alternative in place, it's not too popular yet. But the Moody project plans on making the most of it to reach its goals, which, if achieved, could pave the way for a cheaper, greener way to deliver goods.
2: And finally, on First Move, bringing back the Beatles, thanks to, yep, you probably guessed it, artificial intelligence. In an interview with the BBC, Sir Paul McCartney said he's created, quote, the final Beatles record using AI to extricate the voice of John Lennon from an old recording. He said the song, which he hasn't yet named, will be released later this year. We're looking forward to that. And that's it for the show. If you've missed any of our interviews today, they'll be on my Twitter and Insta pages. Search for at Chatterley CNN. Connect the World with Becky Anderson is up next. See you tomorrow.
0: Asking the right question can greatly impact your future, especially when it comes to your finances. So are you working with a certified financial planner? A CFP professional who meets rigorous education, training, and ethical standards and is committed to serving your best interests to prepare you for a more secure future? Certified Financial Planner Certification is the standard of excellence in financial planning. That's why it's got to be a CFP. Find your CFP professional at letsmakeaplan.org.
3: I'm Dr. Sanjay Gupta, host of the Chasing Life podcast. In honor of our 10th season, we want to hear from you.